This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. I'm excited to, 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 to dive into the book of Ephesians, and today I want to do like sort of like a crash course of, of what to expect as we, we go here through Ephesians, and, and, and I want to catch us up to this, this part, because last year we spent 10 months walking through the book of Acts, right? And it was incredible. God did so much. He spoke so much to our hearts. He, he formed us so much as, as a community, as a, as, a, as, a, as a body. The Spirit was moving so much inside of us. And as we go into the book of Ephesians, I want to carry over from the book of Acts as just this one continuous journey that God is doing with us here at our harbor. So I want to back it up some, and I want to bring us over here because while we was going through the book of Acts, there were some things that that we, we saw that was like highlights and previews of some stuff that was happening in the book of Ephesians that we'll be covering. So one of the things that we, we learned while we was walking through Acts and looking at what God was doing during that journey, we saw how after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he continued on his mission of spreading the gospel. He didn't just die and just fly away to heaven, but he, he, he died, death, burial, resurrection, and, and, and continued his mission spreading the gospel by his spirit, via his spirit, inhabiting the, the, the body of the church. And through the church, continued to carry the gospels to the ends of the earth. That's what we seen when we was walking through Acts and, and we saw the, the birth of the church and, and how things was going on. We saw the development of the, the body and the everyday lives of the believers. People that was coming together and, and, and praying and studying the word together and, and preaching and, 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 and healing. And we saw all these beautiful things happening in the development of the body of Christ back then. We saw... People that became um, deacons, deacons as the church was growing. We saw the church grow in diversity as it, the Gentiles started to get included and different people from different places. All those things and all those elements we saw as we was walking through the book of Acts. And it was beautiful and it helped us to, to see where, how we got to where we're at today and we saw the gospel spreading to many different people and many different places as we went through this journey. We saw it spreading out from Jerusalem. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch get saved and get baptized. We saw Paul walking in the Spirit and Peter following the Spirit. We saw jailers getting converted and Gentiles getting converted. We saw all this happening as we were going through our journey in Acts. One of the things we saw as we was walking through was the conversion of a man by the name of Saul, who became known as Paul. He started off an enemy of the gospel. As a matter of fact, the first 
martyr of Stephen. He oversaw that. He was the authoritative figure inside of the room or the first person to be martyred for the, for the cause of Christ. And Stephen dropped the gospel big time. And it's like something clicked inside of, of, inside of Saul so much so that it just enraged him more. And he led this massive persecution against the church. And one day, along his, his, his way to, to persecute the body of believers, he runs into Jesus Christ, meets him along the road, on the road to Damascus, and confronts him personally and converts him. Paul becomes a believer and it's like he picks up where Stephen left off at because he was beast mode with his articulation of the gospel. And he goes and, and the Lord uses him and carries the gospel to many more places. So you look in, in Acts as we was walking through last year and you start to see Paul's missionary journeys being walked out. Right. Then according to Acts 18 and 19, one of those places was the city of Ephesus. He started to plant churches there and, and, and then during his, his second missionary journey. And then in Acts 19, which was his third missionary journey, he stays there about two to three years confronting false doctrine and pagan practices. So he just camped out for a minute. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this place, Ephesus, right? Because we're going to be lingering there. Ephesus derived, it was well-known. It was well-known where it was at, and it derived its greatness from two major sources. One of those sources was commercial trade, which leads to the other source, which was a high reason for the commercial trade, religion. See, during the Roman period, Ephesus was a major center of worship for the mother goddess. The mother goddess, she was, she was known to the Greeks as Artemis and to the Romans as Diana. So in Acts 19, uh, um, um, Paul is there, and while he's there during this time, and he's confronting um, this paganism, and he's telling them, man, you can't build these idols and find God inside these idols. And he, he's pointing them to the true, the true God. Culture is starting to shift. People get to the point where they start burning their, 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 their witchcraft books and, and burning all their trinkets and idols. And, 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 the, and the people got upset, so angry about what God was doing in Ephesus through Paul that they, they, they teamed together screaming out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And rallied, rallied against the church. And, and there was this uproar that was going on over there. Now, some fun facts, right? So the goddess Diana was the goddess of fertility. She was this, this, this figure, this woman that had, had many breasts because she represented fertility. But the modern-day version that a lot of people don't know um, of this goddess Diana is Wonder Woman. Love the show, right? Good movie, right? Princess Diana, right? So she is the modern-day version of that same person inside there. Now, despite all the uproar that happened in Ephesus, Ephesus flourished. It's flourished so much so that even in the book of Revelations, Jesus talks about them himself. 
In Revelation 2, verses 2 to 3, he says, I know your works. I know your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, he has some other words to say to them after that, but this revelation is a future event. And so, so obviously, the church was flourishing. And then there's the, the relationship between Paul and the Ephesians. You see, during our journey through Acts, Paul had gotten to the point where the Lord had shown him that he was coming to the end um, season of his life, right? And, 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 and that there were some places that he wasn't going to even have an opportunity to see again. And in that, Paul decided to go on this, this, this farewell journey, visiting places that the Lord showed him, and you will not see these places again face to face. You will not see these people again face to face, whether it be because of imprisonment or persecution or death, you won't see them again. One of those places was Ephesus. And, and the relationship with, with them was such a rich relationship that when he goes there and he, and, 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 he, and he calls the Ephesian elders to meet with them, and they hear him saying, listen, I will never see you again. They spend their time praying and weeping, just crying about the fact that they won't see each other again. This shows you some of the heart of what's going on there, and then Paul leaves. And about 10 years after starting the church in Ephesus, he sends a letter of encouragement to them. We know that letter of encouragement today as the book of Ephesians. That's what we're studying for the next 10 months. Now, I'm looking forward to this, to this study because, well, here's a... One way that this is different than our, our study in the book of Acts. Now, the Lord did so much work in it. And there were so much things to dive in. And, 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 and we took 28 chapters. And we went through those 28 chapters for, for 10 months. And so much stuff inside of it. Sometimes we had to pick and choose what we're going to linger on. Different with the book of Ephesians. Now, we're taking six chapters and fleshing those out for 10 months. That means we're going to have the opportunity to take smaller chunks and flesh it out. So excited for that, to be able to, 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 to chew on it for a bit and see what the Lord is doing. I'm saying you should be excited about going through the book of Ephesians. One of the reasons why, right? Like, well, first and foremost, like, like you should be excited. Um, she's excited, right? For sure, right? Um, but man, one of the reasons to be excited is, hey, first and foremost, it's the word of God, right? There's life inside of that. That's the most important thing. It's the word of God, and we get the opportunity to soak it up, to dive in, to chew it for a while and digest it. Another thing that excites me about going through the book of Ephesians. There's a, a professor by the name of N.C. Wright who, who does this, this, this teaching and this course on the book of Ephesians, and, and he, he made this quote about 
the book of Ephesians having to do with the Reformed church, right? Um, so if you could put that quote up, he says this. If the reformers had taken Ephesians rather than Galatians and Romans as their main set text, the entire course of Western history might have been different. That's jam-packed. To make a statement like that and the impact it is in regard to Western culture and Western history and all the atrocities against humanity that leave a stain in Western history. To, 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 to look at that quote in, in, in light of things like, like slavery and oppression and the marginalization of entire people groups that were being labeled inferior. This to be said in light of the reality that now, even when we think about slavery, the slavery that happened in the West, even though slavery has been happening before, what happened in the West with slavery, that was the first time the planet endured something like that. So to make a statement like this is huge. And it admits and alludes to at least three things. One... The church's role in the course of Western history, a lot of times we turn a blind eye to that reality. But for him to make a statement that the church the history of Western culture may have been different, says, man, the church had a huge role inside this. Two, Much of that role and how things was walked out had to do with the misinterpretation of Scripture. Three, Scripture itself, namely Ephesians, contradicts the way many walked out their theology. So I'm excited to, to, to dive into this and stuff and see this contradiction, but I, I'm, 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 I'm trusting the Lord and know that he's good in everything that he's doing, right? So, so right, he writes this overview of the book of Ephesians, and, he, and, and in there he highlights six verses, one from each chapter, that, that sort of captures the, the heart of the book of Ephesians. And, and so this morning is gonna, it's like an, an overview. And what I want to do is I want to use those exact same verses because I agree with them. Like, there's so much in it and there's so much more to it. But yeah, I agree. I think these six verses sort of captures a glimpse of the heart of the book of Ephesians. And I'm excited to go inside of it. So the first verse I want to look at as we think about an overview, is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10. It says, it talks about God's plan to unite all things in him. God's plan to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, he isn't just implying something. He's plainly stating a reality. This is God's plan to unite all all things in heaven and earth in him. I'm not trying to make an implication here. I'm telling you this is the reality. 
And in that reality, now, now think about it, in that reality, the reconciliation of peoples one to another is a part of God uniting all things within himself. This is a reality, which also means anything functioning against the reconciliation of peoples one to another, causing separation, is functioning against the plan of God. This plan of unification, forming one new man in Christ, which is deeply diverse in its expression of himself. A plan that, that goes after uniting what was separated in the fall. Yes. Heaven and earth. Yes. This is what you see separated inside the fall. This is what you see with Adam and Eve and God and walking inside the midst and this fellowship. Heaven and earth united and then the breaking of the relationship between man and God separated heaven and earth, creating ripple effects of broken relationships throughout all of history, manifesting itself in the most grievous ways. God is like, I'm I'm uniting heaven and earth. Then you got Ephesians 2 and 10, where he says, we are his workmanship, meaning poem or artwork. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's a huge point. Basically saying, listen, we are living pieces of art that put on display the artistic beauty of our creator when we submit and sync with the Holy Spirit in harmonious rhythms of good works, rhythms of blessing and serving others. In that you see a chorus and symphony of things coming together displaying his art. And this isn't something that we have to force and muster up the strength and ability to make happen. Instead, this is a reality prepared by God beforehand for us to sync up with him and walk in. Then there's Ephesians 3 and 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, when he says heavenly places, he's talking about rulers and, author- and, and rulers and authorities. He's talking about spiritual places and demonic rulers and authorities that, that lead individuals, that leads culturals and national idol worship. That's what he's talking about. And he says the church, united in the depths of his diversity and beauty and expressing, trusting God completely on the Holy Spirit as her strength, will be God's agent through which he displays and makes known the depths of his wisdom to those very same demonic rulers and authorities. So imagine the setback when the church is, is, is separating and people are separating and God's plan is to use them to highlight the depths of his wisdom. 
not just to men, but to demons. He would use the church as a sign to the spirits and idols of our age that Christ is the all-wise and powerful good king. The church will display that through its submitting to God, unifying in him his vision, his plan. Chapter 4 and 15, it says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ. And I love this because it continues on and he gets in, gets in and he says, when we grow from speaking truth from a place of pride and arrogance and speaking the truth in authentic love instead, it's a sign of growth and maturity that benefits the entire body. That we are dying to self and growing more and more into the reality of our union with Christ. So there's this growth that's going on here. Then in 5 and 14, he says, 4, anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. This is important because it talks about the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living inside of you, living inside of me, and is able to raise you from the spiritual sleep of death. Now, this is the true meaning of hashtag woke. That's the true meaning. I track with that. It means I'm no longer dead in my slumber of sin, but woke to the reality of my Savior living inside of me, being the very power of life that quickens me and rises me above the sting of death. You won't hold me down. He's living inside of me. That's what it means. I'm not sleeping. I'm woke to who he is and where I draw my strength from. I'm woke to his plans of uniting all things in heaven and earth in him. I'm woke to the reality that he is good and he is all sufficient. Nothing else would take the place of that. Then he's Ephesians 6 and 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And he calls you to use everything within your means, everything at your disposal, everything to stand firm in spiritual warfare. Yeah. This was, that's what's going on here. This is a small glimpse of what we have in store for the next 10 months. What we have an opportunity to spend time fleshing out, lingering in, and understanding what, 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 what God means. So you have 
chapters 1 to 3, the first half, right? And in chapters 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all of that is about our identity in the gospel, who we are, the true reality of what Christ has already done. So we have the opportunity to spend five months just lingering on, man, let me see what Christ has already done in forming my identity. Where I find my identity at. Then in chapters 4 through 6, the second half, we'll spend the next five months looking at what does it look like to walk in the reality of that identity, to walk in the reality of what Christ has already done. Not just look at my identity, it looks good, nice, but to walk in that identity that's already set out for you. Not that you're trying to make for yourself. This is really important here. We get to spend five months just looking at that. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited when I think about the overview of of what we have in store during this next 10 months. And I hope we all will, 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 will dig in and make most of it. Let me tell you a couple of themes that you'll see going on throughout this time. One is this. As we walk through the book of Ephesians, you're going to hear this, and you're going to see this, and you're going you're, you're gonna, to you're smell this, that, that, that God is preparing us, his people, God preparing his people for tomorrow's world. Getting to understand what that looks like, both naturally and spiritually. God preparing his people for tomorrow's world. We will During this time, we'll come to our understanding of cosmic power and earthly realities. We will look at, revel in, enjoy the reality of of, of the cosmic defeat of earthly powers and idols. And we'll come to understand the cosmic reality of of who God the Father is, which supersedes heaven and earth. We'll we'll come to understand the reality of the communal reality of the Spirit of God creating the type of family that only God can do through his Spirit, a family that the world could never create. And we'll look at this, this, the reality, the individual reality of God, the Son, who pursues you personally and individually. We'll come to understand that all three of these realities are constantly present and flowing simultaneously, always with special emphasis on different ones and different times while yet never being separated. That being said, let me kick this thing off by closing out the way Paul's introduction is. So if you'll stand with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. I have you stand for two verses because God is worthy of it, right? Mm, Paul, 
apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Now, let me comment on these before we, before we go. A few things that are common in, in Pauline's letters is, 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 one of them is how he starts them off. A, he identifies himself with a, a designation, a title. Most of the time, that's what happened. I think in Thessalonians, the only time he doesn't do it like that. But he identifies himself with a designation, a title. Now, the title that he uses are culturally significant. This one time, he, he identifies himself as a servant, humble. One time that, that identifies himself as a prisoner, another lowly designation. And then he identifies himself as a apostle, majority of the times, which is one of authority. What's significant about this is his lowly titles were ones that culturally were insignificant. And most people was treated like nothing that held those titles. Servants, prisoners who, who couldn't make any decisions for themselves. Only in the kingdom of God were those titles seen as highly servant, yes. a prisoner of Christ, servant of Christ. These are high titles that contradicted what culture said. And then his authoritative titles that, that, that they gave an opening of, 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 of certain letters were irrelevant in culture. They were only authorities in the kingdom of God. He didn't go to one of the Roman soldiers and say, hey, listen, I'm an apostle. What are you doing? They're like, Pfft. but in the kingdom of God, it was some. So the thing that stands out to me, right, when he does these things and what he always does, whenever he would use the, the, the titles that was um, authoritative titles, he always pointed to the will and sovereign purpose of God in the calling. Not himself, not man. He didn't point to how hard he worked to get the title. He didn't point to his heritage. He didn't point to where he grew up at. He didn't point to how people knew him. None of those things. Not his academics. He pointed to the will of God. He always started off with an identity that was rooted in a kingdom reality. Right, right. Honored to wear those titles of servant of Christ. Yeah. Honored to wear the title of a prisoner of Christ. Honored to wear the title of an apostle of Christ. Right. So long as it was understood that this is an identity that is rooted in Christ, in his will, in his authority. And what I'm walking in is my kingdom identity. The same is true for us. Our identity in Christ is a kingdom reality. Our identity in Christ is a kingdom reality in accordance with the authority of Christ the King. When we walk inside that reality, we are walking in our kingdom identity. Most of, us, most of us, we don't have designations or titles that, that are looked upon as highly in any way, shape, or form culturally. Most of us don't. 
Like Paul, our designation in the kingdom of God is where we find our identity. It's where we find our self-worth. And some of us here do have a title and culture and society that's, that, that, that's looked upon highly with some authority. Paul did too. But he never led from those titles. He didn't find his identity inside those titles, but he did leverage them for the sake of his kingdom identity. I pray what the Holy Spirit shows us inside this text is not to search for our identity and self-worth and positions and titles that give you some sort of authority in accordance with the idols of culture, but instead find your self-worth in the identity that's found in Christ designated inside of his kingdom. We ain't searching for that. I may get the title, I may get the degree, but I don't find myself worth inside of it. And I'm not chasing for that. The coaches and kingdoms around us will fail. They always have. They will fail, they will fall, but the kingdom of God is forever. That's what makes the difference. So he enters in identifying himself from the kingdom perspective that gives him the authority to say what he's about to say, whether it's as a servant of Christ, as a prisoner of Christ, or as an apostle of Christ. He enters in and he gives them the good news of the gospel on the front end, grace and peace. This is the good news of the gospel. Grace and peace to you. That's what he always does. And this is significant because they've been in a state of turmoil, disarray, internal and external war for all of their lives, for generations. And there was no one alive that remembers a time when it was different. They awaited the fulfillment of the prophecy of the one that would end the war. And he enters in with good news. By the grace of God, peace has come to you in Christ. It's already a kingdom reality. And it'll take the fullness of time to be fleshed out. But you can start experiencing it now. You can give others a foretaste of it now. Let me close with prayer. I want to close prayer like this. My brothers and sisters here at Redemption Alhambra Church, people that are fellowshipping with us, visiting this morning, that identify with this reality, by the grace of God, peace has come to you. The war is already won. Rest in him. Grace and peace in Christ to you We can start experiencing it now. This is a kingdom reality. Let me pray. May you have the grace and peace extended to you by God the Father, by God in Christ Jesus, applied by God through his precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me open up and set us up for communion. Everything that I just preached about just now, everything that I talked about, it's a kingdom reality. When you come to these tables this morning, 
And you take part in the bread that represents his body that's broken for you. This is cup and in it is the bread. Represents his body broken for you. And the juice represents his blood that flows for you. You are acknowledging that kingdom reality. That you are a resident of that kingdom. That you are following the leadership of that king. Now, if that's not you, we can surely pray with you and help you be a part of it. But as you come up this morning, I pray you consider that relationship. That you consider the obligations of that relationship. That you consider yourself a servant, a prisoner, one call to carry the gospel to others as a kingdom reality. The tables are open. Let's worship together. Let's break bread together. Tables are open. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.